plague devastating the countries of the world? Death coming out to destroy social orders? Sound familiar? What if I told you this prose was written 200 years ago? And that this prose, short in length, told of a divide of wealth in the masses. Can wealth suspend death? Can the rich survive the death of the masses? Can bureaucracy be one's only escape? Listen in to hear all these questions answered and so much more in this episode of Humans in Motion. Hi, I'm Noah Dufek, and this is Humans in Motion. My name is Paul. Hey, uh, I'm Tyler, and it looks like um, <clears throat> looks like Ashley muted herself. So if she could unmute herself and I'm, introduce I'm herself muted. to our listeners. And I did scream emphatically into my microphone, uh, thinking that the world could hear me. But in fact, that was untrue. Um, this is Ashley, microphone on. Wow, no, no one just muted <laughs> Ashley. Okay. Google okay. Meet things. <laughs> yes. I dislike all of you. I miss you very much, but I dislike all of you. We are still abiding by the whole social distancing thing. Do your part. You may not get sick, but the ones closest to you may. Well, Noah, what do we have for us this week? Okay. We have the Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe. The one and only craziest writer of all time. Who married his cousin, who was also 13. So what were your first impressions of this, Noah? My first impressions upon the poem are one, of course, based upon... Is it a poem? It's not a poem, Noah. It's for, for, it, we've had to re-record that intro part probably five times. Yeah, because, that's... Um, he kept right. saying it was a poem instead of prose. Mm-hmm. And we love him for it, but... Continue, continue Noah. Okay. My first impressions of this prose was that it was about disease and death and carnal death. But it's so much more than that. It's about bureaucracy. It's about the symbolism found in the individual rooms and their light components. It's about what death symbolizes as a tool rather than the end of the means and of the escape specifically into the country of the prince himself. Does anybody want to respond to that? I, I would, but first I'd like to address Ashley's face and why it looks like she just found a math problem that she couldn't solve. Oh, currently on my um, screen, I'm looking at um, the piece and I'm trying to find what I wanted to talk about. So you you go ahead, Tyler. Okay. Um, her her, bro, her um, brow was furrowed in a very uncanny and unnatural way. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to talk particularly about the end I will uh, preface this by saying that I don't ever think there's a right interpretation of um, any prose, Noah, but I don't also, um, I also just kind of use it as a preface to say that I may be wrong, so please don't come at me. There's this one part at the, yes, prose. <laughs> there's this, uh, this one part at the end where it says, and now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night. So there's this really cool personification of the Red Death at the end. And I think it really goes to elaborate on the fact, like goes to show the fact that the Red Death is also the craze of people during times of despair. 
what uh, does anybody have um, either agree, disagree, evidence, um, anger, happiness, sadness, tears, sorrow, etc. Well, one thing we were talking about um, in English today was the concept of binary thinking, um, therefore um, creating groups. So we have all of these rich people that live in this palace who are um, they themselves protected from the Red Death via their wealth. And then we have um, the Red Death itself or the mask of the Red Death symbolizing everything outside of um, the castle that is carnage due to this disease. So um, we have these two binary forces opposing each other. Um, and one one offers fear to the other. So the, the Red Death is a source of fear towards the people who are rich. And, I've, and this, like, kind of like you said, this fear almost overcomes at the point of death for all of these rich people. Right, exactly. I mean, we have to always remember that whenever there's an us, there's always a them which is a really hard concept for a lot of people to come to terms with because, you know, it is in our, um, and more on this later when we bring, uh, when we talk about the real world applications of a lot of the ideas brought up in this, but, um, you know, humans uh, by nature are creatures of us. They are creatures of us and by proxy, humans by nature are also creatures of them. That's why we've always, as far back as humanity goes, we've had tribes, we've had, uh, we've had unions, we've had people together. We are a social people. Um, uh, take um, labels, okay? I'm not gonna hide how I feel. I think there's nothing wrong with, with any label you wanna put on yourself. If you wanna be gay, cool. It's none of my business. But bear in mind that when you create, your, when you label yourself as something, and you give another person the opportunity to label themselves as the same thing, yes, you come together and you are one and you are stronger as a people as a result. That's why we have so many different denominations of um, asexuality and why it's LGBTQ+. But at the same time, there arises two main issues, one of which being the fact that those people may not necessarily feel like you're allowed to be part of that group, which is very toxic and very real. And then also we have people saying, well, you're not part of our group. So whenever there's an us, there's always a them. Now, however, I've been on this for three minutes, so I digress, but I definitely would like to touch on that. I mean, I could argue to extend it just a, just a tiny bit more. Uh, when you said, you prefaced by saying, that there was uh, like infinite interpretations or whatever. And so you didn't want to be uh, attacked because of yours. Uh, and that way, I think that people, um, you're arguing that there's no like unified truth or something. And so I might say that a coming together as a collective us uh, would be impossible. And so if there's this binary us versus them, it would just be the individual versus everybody else. I want to build off that because thank you for that comment. The individual per us versus them. Yes, I don't know if you're agreeing with that, Paul. I kind of saw disagreement with that idea of Tyler's, but I think that's kind of, uh, I think that is kind of the purpose of this story. The individualism you're talking about by the end of what you're saying, I believe that's the fatal flaw of the prince that's why he dies because he doesn't realize the collective whole of his kingdom of him and his subjects beating out this death instead he focuses it on himself 
I would almost argue though. No, no, no. I'm actually going to agree with you there because we have the, um, the aristocracy with all of the money. It's almost a paradox of taking wealth uh, and riches from the masses to source your own wealth and happiness. And his name is literally Prince Prospero. Uh, if there's any source of clear symbolism in any piece of literature, give it to me because he is specifically the symbol of, um, of wealth and therefore power. Um, and with that, it seems at the end, though, that uh, death cannot surmount wealth. Was he wrong to attempt to use the wealth he has built up to defend a certain group of people? Or is there inherent exclusion in that process? And what do we think about that? Well, there is because um, he closed the gates to the outside society, brought in all of the nobles, the rich people, and lived out their lavish days with um, parties. And especially um, there's the imagery of these rooms, these seven different rooms uh, with seven different colors, all with stained glass windows um, that look upon the outside world. And this outside world is colored by which the image or the tint of the... Um, stained glass window is so they're able to look upon the outside world and therefore the death that it has caused however um it is colored by the perceptions of which each room is and the one thing um i just want to say is that each room's color symbolizes a stage of life so i did a little bit of extra research and these seven rooms the first one starts with birth of blue um, youth of purple adolescence of green adulthood of orange um, old age of white and then imminent death of violet and death itself of black or scarlet which to me was quite the beautiful use of chromatism paul you wanted to say something i was going to go back to the idea um so he obviously tried to save a group and he obviously had to exclude some people because he can't pay for every single person should he try then to save anybody if he's going to be excluding a group or is that like if he has the power to um, what he thinks protect a group to the best of his ability, should he even do that if it means excluding uh, a perhaps larger group? Well, I, sorry, sorry, Tyler. Can I say this one thing real quick? I yes. go ahead. Okay. I met these really interesting people, and I'm sure I've talked about this before, but I read these, met these really interesting girls from California who talked about their debate club. And they said the one surefire way to end human suffering is to literally end all life on the world. And their way would to do that would just be via nuclear bombs. But if, if we can't, is it, in, to build off your question, Paul, um, is it inherently uh, biased towards a certain group of people if you try to save one group of people but uh, know that others outside of this group will not be saved? Actually, that is truly a question that has faceted... Wait, hold on, let me a second. Actually, that is truly a question with many faces of answers, and we will discuss all of those faces, all seven of them, after this quick message from our sponsors. Stay with us. 
we're back at Humans in Motion. A question often asked about literature is who is the protagonist? And I want to ask the same exact question of The Mask of the Red Death. And I want to answer it too. And I'm going to say Red Death is the protagonist. Yes, what if death isn't the worst thing in the world? I think we can talk about the morality of death by considering also the morality of immortality. See what I did there? Morality, immortality. So who wants to start us off? Well, um, that's an interesting concept because um, I had listened to this really fascinating girl talk about death during this forensic season and how Western culture uh, has a general fear of it, even though it's a very natural and um, expected stage of life. Therefore, when we fear um, immort- when we fear our own mortality um, and we put these labels on it, um, i.e. the mask of the Red Death itself, we seem to then um, glorify death, but in a bad way. I don't really know a word for glorify that has a negative connotation. Stigmatize. We stigmatize death in a bad way. Um, It's an interesting perspective, though, Paul, of uh, considering death as maybe not the worst end in the world although i would have to argue that edgar Allan poe does consider it the worst death in the world because of all of the well think of like how he describes the red death it's it's a bloody death um violent um it seems everybody fall it's like instant death everybody falls dead it's very it, it, it's gruesome, and therefore that kind of shows his attitude towards the Red Death itself. Or does it show, <clears throat> sorry, or does it show um, the outsider's view of death? Are we, are, are we sure that that imagery is supposed to represent how Poe feels about it? Or is it supposed to be symbolic of how the layman views death, how Prince Prospero view, views death? Yeah, does he put himself in the perspective of the prince? Because, like, going back to what Ashley's saying, I would argue that Poe saw insanity and uh, guilt and warping of the mind as a far worse fate than death. He focuses on it in the Telltale Heart and in the Raven and in most of his works. Um, so, uh, is but don't he- all of those things lead to death themselves? Not necessarily. That he's arresting the Telltale Raven. I mean, the Telltale Raven. The Telltale Raven. The Telltale Raven. All he tells is never mind. The Raven actually is a poem, so I can't wait till we get there. And then Noah won't. Uh, Noah will say for that say one. the poem. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> you had such a profound comment earlier. Would you like to continue? Okay, so okay. is Paul inserting himself into the perspective of another person, specifically medieval, who fears death, and rather than um, fears his own life? I mean, what I'm trying to say is, is this really Paul's point of view? And are these views that we're drawing out of it really pulls ideas or are they stigmatisms that he's trying to break and make fun of? I didn't see any source of um, satire here 
just because of the gravity in how these um, the entirety of the population within Prince Can I clarify? Grows. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean make fun of. I meant kind of like remark on challenge. Right. Exactly. Like, Are, is he challenging? A funny person. Well, is he challenging um, death here, or is he challenging the concept of classism, which we class- haven't touched on yet? I think it's definitely class. Like, I don't. I, I think that classism is the real point here, and that death is the vessel. What do you mean, death is the vessel? Well, death is just what's being used to um, paint why classism is such an issue. Um, particularly, I think that the the whole point, if we look at the whole, like, you know, like when Poe sits out of his pen, he's like, I, I'm going to write something. What's on my mind right now? Like, why am I, Edgar Allan Poe, thinking about? That's what we have to think about. And I think that he's not thinking about, let me write some poem about death, because I think that we'd see a lot more imagery about what the layman was going through and the thoughts of the layman if it, they were indeed talking about uh, death. I think that instead we see thoughts of how Prince Prospero has closed the borders, you know, Elsa style, and have basically... <laughs> Only uh, you can bring in Frozen into Edgar Allan Poe. Hey, I'm sorry. This is let, awesome. Let, let it go, Ashley. It's cheap. Why did the... Did the, the, the captions just think I swore? My gosh. Um, the, the captions like start out a word. Um, but anyway, um, but there's, we see phrases like maddening with rage at the shame of his own momentary cowardice when he tries to order people to be enslaved and they're not. Um, I think that those parts wouldn't be there if this was really talking about death. I think that those parts really indicate um, a discussion of classism money, selfishness, and the human condition, hashtag John Bellion. John, oh my God. No, where, where's Paul on that one? Paul, where are you at? I, I was momentarily taken aback by the mispronunciation of his last name. But... Sorry, John <laughs> Bellion. Yes, it's John Bellion. I'm, my apologies. There well, is, I'm the only there one is the music here who to my does ears. not know who John Bellion is. We, 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 you know, we're going to play. Net, net, once this whole deal is over, uh, we're going to play um, Maybe I Don't Know, one of uh, my favorite songs by him. Don't don't get me started. Don't get me started, Tyler. It's we'll be so, here. Don't get me started. So, it's so good. It's so good. Okay. We're on a time limit, though. Okay. I think... Um, I think that's a fair argument. I think it's fair to, uh, since like we said, Poe so often uses death in his stories, that that could be simply his like rhetorical strategy uh, and his like consistent setting. Like, okay, uh, classism related to death. And like, that's his, that's just his way of storytelling. So I think that's fair. But I also want to bring back uh, the evidence that um, the story is more focused on death than you think. Uh, because of the whole the whole clock scene the clock strikes oh, uh, a new hour and then everybody kind of stops and they're kind of reminded of the passage of time and oh with another hour someone could have gotten this disease another hour someone could have gotten sick and so it's sort of uh, a reminder of the imminent uh death we all face or earthly death i really and- 
I no, really no, maybe to connect that um, to the sense of classism and to kind of mesh these two ideas. It's almost as if wealth and prosperity and social status and all the things that are associated with classism are ultimately futile because all of us are going to have the same fate in the end. We are all going to, um, we are all mortals. Last time I checked, Except Ashley. Except Ashley. you know, I was reading Percy Jackson uh, earlier, so I feel like I needed to bring up the ideas of mortals. But anyway, um, it, it's all futile in the end because all of us are going to die. Therefore, our wealth is um, our wealth is not useful in either uh, dirt in the ground as we rot or the afterlife, as if um, if we're uh, talking religion, which I think Paul wants to do next. From dust we came, to dust we shall return. I probably misquoted it, but truly, as Ashley herself said it, can we put much stock in the possessions of this world? Maybe not, because we'll all face death or death of this world. Clearly, our hearts are restless until they rest in the Lord above. That is religion is what gives us meaning, ladies and gentlemen. I said what I said. Um, all right. Paul. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Religion, may, okay, I'd just like to say, whether you're religious or not, I would just like to say that if God exists, and I'm not saying he does or doesn't, but if God exists, our perception of God is only what our earthly human minds can project. It's just like the Red Death is just a perception of what our earthly minds can possess. Right, well, that's what I was saying, is death is something that we can't understand, and God is something that we can't understand. You know, everything is relative to the context of what the human mind can truly understand. So, with that being said, man created God. <sighs> That, hot take that is that is a take that is a very you know very so hot just, take. just just to comment on that idea of how we're perceiving reality only through a human perception um in english right now we're reading sula um sula dies and um and her last words are, oh, it wasn't even that painful. Wait until I tell Nell. And Nell is her best friend. And I wrote in the margins, like, this is Toni Morrison, the author, understanding what it means to die, but only in the mortal perspective. She herself didn't know what death was. Therefore, we only can perceive reality in terms of human perception, yet things outside of what we can what we can experience were merely speculating. What a perception. Ladies and gentlemen, we will leave you with your perception which after all, it should be the only true perception that you take forth with you into the world. This has been Humans in Motion. Thank you again for joining us during this time of crisis. We wish you well from our team here at Humans in Motion. Godspeed.